0: My name is Stephanie. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City. I'd love to get to know you and meet you if you're visiting or if you have maybe come to get to know Mill City a little bit. Love to chat with you. Um, Would you pray with me before we look into God's word together? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place. We just celebrated you, Jesus, as Emmanuel, a God who is with us, a with us God. So we believe that you're here. And even though that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, we believe that you're here by the power of your Holy Spirit in this room. And we believe that your presence makes a difference, that it empowers us, that it gives us a a different way of seeing the world around us and seeing what you're doing. And so we pray that your presence would remain in this school. As the kids are coming back to school this week, we pray that it would make a difference that we have asked for your presence to be here. Empower the faculty and the staff, the, uh, the, the students, God, that you would be with them, their families, as they're coming back from this break. I Pray that they could get just right away back into what they need to learn in this new semester, God. Um, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would be teaching us from your word what you want us to hear. That we would be people who have minds and hearts that are changed because of you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, there's a phenomenon on the internet that some of you might have heard about if you're an internet person. Can you not be, can you completely not be an internet person at this point? Okay, John says he's not an internet person. I see you on Instagram, seriously. So, so there's an, a phenomenon called Instagram versus real life. Has anybody heard this or seen this? So Instagram, if you're not an internet person, so John, Instagram, it's this, it's this application on the phones where people share their photos, So you share photos of what's happening in your life and people are able to kind of connect with you all over the world. It's amazing. People can be on a plane and have Wi-Fi and see what you're doing and what you're eating. They can see what you're eating from the plane. So there's this thing called Instagram versus real life. And the suggestion is that we might have a tendency for better or for worse to post things on Instagram that uh, are more highly favored towards what we'd like our life to be like or only the good things about life and not necessarily the more accurate things about life, okay, hypothetically. So um, I brought some of the holiday edition, Instagram versus real life for you all to see, okay? So let's just go through these one at a time. So this is the healthy food prep for the holiday meal, Instagram version. The real life version is completely destroyed kitchen and it's a total mess and the food's not actually in the frying pan yet and the company is almost here, okay? So that's the Instagram versus real life. Here we have this beautiful little girl who got a new tea set from her auntie. And she's enjoying it, and it's so precious, and she's delicately eating a little cracker. And then we have, just a few minutes later, complete meltdown. (laughs) And this is what we would see on the Instagram and not always the one on the right, okay? Next one, we've got this little girl and this little boy got bunnies from Grandma for Christmas. And then, not too much later... We've got inappropriate. So there was probably about 70 or 80 of the pictures on this side to get the picture on this side, right? Right, parents? It takes about 70 or 80 per cute pic. All right, so then we've got another one here, uh, breaking out the decorations. Isn't that beautiful? And then the, the actual reality is we broke the decorations. Actually, as we were taking them back down to the basement, they all tumbled out, and they were breakable, okay? The next one we have is uh, this little baby just loves Santa. It's so precious. But we'll see in this next one that pretty sure, like soon enough they learn Santa's not exciting, Santa's terrifying. And so how many people have that picture of their child? Yeah, exactly. And it sometimes ends up on Instagram, but usually there's something. You hold an object, right, that the kid likes, and then they forget that they're sitting with terrifying Santa. And then they think, oh, I like that thing, and they smile. But they're not smiling about Santa. They just temporarily forgot that they were in a creepy man's hands. And then they're happy, right? All right, next one. We have, and this is like my favorite one because you see this all the time, fellowship around the table, right? It's just so beautiful. Everyone's happy and exciting. Grandpa's got the Santa hat on. But we know as soon as the table is cleared, everyone's going to be on their phones for the rest of the day. Right, that's the actual Instagram reality. Does that look like anybody else's holiday experience? Come on, be honest. I know it it was some of you. All right, so Instagram versus real life. Now, I would say that we need to just give everybody a little bit of a break because honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't wanna really see everybody's real life. Like I actually, if I'm gonna be on the photo sharing app, I'd like to see some like really nicely placed ornaments. You know, I like that. And it's cute that the kids are happy with Creepy Santa. You know. Like, honestly, I don't know if I really want people to Instagram their real life. I think that's actually sometimes a little bit of an overshare, right? You can overshare your life. And so the people who do share their real life maybe a little bit too much, it's actually a little bit awkward. And so you can get this kind of interesting feeling when you're going through social media because on one hand, you know it's not exactly people's real life, but on the other hand, you don't know if you really want to see that. That's not interesting, right? Now, I mean, we do the same thing with Christmas cards. People have sent Christmas cards out for... I don't know how many years since paper was invented, right? And you send out the Christmas cards and you pick the happy picture and you put it up there and you send it to people and you say, Merry Christmas, right? You don't want to put what, what if 2015 was a horrible year for you? You're not going to put that on the Christmas card, right? You're not going to say, oh, Merry Christmas. Uh, My husband hates his job. I'm working too many hours. One of our kids hit puberty and I'm trying to not tear my hair out. We put our, our house up for sale and it fell through last minute. Happy New Year, right? Nobody does that, and we don't really want them to. Trust me, we really don't want people to do that. That is just awkward. But I think what social media and all of the, the ways that we're connected, is a word that's used a lot now, connected, we're highly connected, I think that the problem that it could create, not always, is that we don't know for sure who the people are that do know our real lives. Who are the people that are our confidants, is a word that we might use, the people who we really trust, who know that even though we put the cute Santa picture or the, you know, grandma gave you bunnies picture and it's cute, they know what really goes on and they're okay with that and they're still your friend and they love you and they support you and they pray for you. Who are those people in our lives? I think that that's something that we often, because of the connectivity, can struggle with. In fact, I would suggest, and actually some social psychologists are now proving in many different ways, that particularly in North America, this is a time in the history of humanity where we are more connected than we've ever been, yet we are the least known. We're at a time in in history, the information age and all of this, where we are more connected to more people around the country, around the world than we've ever been, yet we are the least known. And I think that this is a problem. I think this is a problem for humanity, but I particularly think that this can be a problem for us as the church. And I want to get into a little bit more about that today. But this is uh, the kind of the foundation of a conversation we want to have over these next six weeks about what we're calling renewing relationships. We all have these important relationships in our lives with our families, our spouses, our our, uh, extended family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, the community here at Mill City. And it's not necessarily that most of us need more of those relationships. We just need them to be renewed so that they're deep enough so that we can be real and honest and vulnerable and be known, can be truly known in the midst of all the connections that we have. The relationships we have with each other, and I hope this is obvious, deeply affects our everyday life. The relationships we have with the people around us deeply affect our everyday life. And in many ways, we want to suggest in this conversation that the quality of your relationships with the people in your communities is a reflection in some ways of the quality of the relationship we have with God. Those two things can't be separated as much as sometimes we'd like them to be. And so if we're feeling disconnected in our close relationships in our lives, we're going to I think, most often, feel disconnected in our relationship with God. And I think there's some practical and theological ways that those things connect that I want to talk about today. So we're going to have this conversation, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about six practices or six very specific actions that we can take to grow in our relationships with each other over the next six weeks, our winter getaway that was mentioned earlier is going to be focused on rest and relationships in that same way because it feels as though to us as we've been listening to God over the last few months that this is a way that God is really calling us as a church community, as people who want to be an example of what acceptance and love and family looks like can grow in in 2016. We can grow in those trusting relationships, not grow in oversharing on social media. So don't hear that growing in those trusting relationships that we have with the people in our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about, and we're going to focus this entire conversation out of one specific uh, book of the Bible and one chapter, and that's Romans 12. So Romans 12 is right in the middle of uh, this letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, is sending out to the church in Rome. And he's sending these words of encouragement, some theology, some many different things. But here in the midst of this um, entire letter is this chapter that's all about community. It's all about how we relate to each other. And it's very, very practical. It's very practical. Um, As I've been somebody who's been living in community style, living for 14 and a half years, 14 and a half years, um, I've lived with over 36 people directly in my home Uh, wherever those homes have been over the last 15 years. Uh, Romans 12 has been a passage that's been really important to me. In fact, it's one that I, at one time, had the entire chapter memorized, which is crazy to think about. And in some ways, we've kind of lost that that desire to really memorize Scripture because we have it on our phones and all these things. But, you know, I would encourage you. We've got six weeks. I think it's doable to memorize something like this. So I'm going to commit to rememorizing Romans 12 back from maybe eight years ago when I first memorized it. And I challenge you to do that. I'll give you a, a sticker. What do we give them in, in mini we give them stickers when they do that? Something. So I'll give you a sticker, all right, if you memorize Romans 12. It'll be awesome. Now, there's something very important before I read this that I want to point out. I'm going I'm to make a bold statement right now. You can disagree with me. I, I think that I know what the number one mistake or error is that Americans have when reading the Bible. I've figured it out, okay? The number one mistake and error, you're thinking, what, I mean, of all the things, what could it be? I think that the number one error that American Christians make when we're reading the Bible is that we read the Bible individualistically. We read this story of God that was started thousands of years ago and leads up to today, and God is still telling this story, and it includes all of us as the church. But we look at the story and we think very individualistically about how it applies to me. And we don't think about the we. These these books were written to groups of people almost exclusively. There's some exceptions here and there when a letter was being written to a specific person. Uh, and And that person was receiving those words as an individual. But even then... Other people were usually part of that because the culture, the ancient Near Eastern culture and the culture in which Jesus was alive during in the early church was a much more corporate, much more of a communal culture. And so they're reading all of these words or hearing all of these words through a communal lens and we, we can't necessarily help do this, most of us, because of our culture. We read it with an individualistic lens. But what we can do is intentionally try to put on the lens of community when we're listening to what is being said in scripture. And I want to encourage you to do that here as I read Romans 12. In fact, I'm going to have the NIV version here, but I even made some of it a little more plural because almost every place in Romans, for instance, where the word you is said, it's actually you all or y'all if you weren't from up here. If you're from the south, it's y'all. Anybody say y'all? Y'all, right? So I think that it'd be better for us to understand that when Paul says you, he's really saying you all or you all, y'all. So that is actually what's happening here. So let me read it as you have it up here on the screen. You'll notice he uses a lot of plural language that is translated accurately for us in English, but the Greek has a lot more plural than we're able to see in our English. So I'll make that obvious as I read. So I'm going to read this whole passage. I want you to listen for that plural understanding and also for the practices, the many very distinct actions that Paul gives. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you all will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for all of you. For by the grace given in me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of all of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So I want to just focus on those first couple of verses, actually verse 2 specifically. So if we were going to read verse 2 communally, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you all will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for you all. Today's practice that I want to talk about in some ways is a simple one, but it's very important. And that practice is in community as we are renewing relationships. To listen to God together. To listen to God together. Here we, we see in this passage that this is something that should happen together. That we listen to God, not the world, when it comes to what God wants for us. And Paul describes it as God's will, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sounds really positive. Sounds like a good thing to me. And so if this passage is written communally, then when Paul says that we're testing and approving, testing and approving is the language that Paul uses there, testing and approving what God's will is, then that is something that's done together, not something that we can do completely, at least, on our own. And when I think about 2016, I'm actually filled with anticipation because I think, like Kelsey said earlier, God is going to do some amazing things. He's going to be speaking to us. God's going to invite us into new things. God's going to help us know that we don't need to do everything. God's going to be giving grace to us and reminding us that we need to receive God's grace like we talked about last week. And all of that is very dependent on whether or not we're going to listen. And then I want to suggest that all of that listening is very dependent on whether or not we're doing that listening together. Because in so many ways, listening to God is a communal activity and something that we can do together. And I think, I hope, that this year you want to listen to God and to step into what God wants for you. I know I do. If you're thinking, I'd rather be transformed uh, by the world, then that's a whole other sermon and we should talk later. But I think most of us are on the same page where we say, I think as, as best as I can, I want to step into the things God might be saying this year. And I'm not saying that God never speaks to us individualistically. I mean, God can speak to us as individuals at times, absolutely. But are we even taking what we hear and bringing that to a community of people that are helping us to understand what we may or may not be hearing? Because I don't know about you, but for us in this time, in this place, in the history of the world, it's not completely clear all the time what God is saying. Because we're living in a time that's already full of the kingdom of God, but not completely. Someday God's presence will be here completely, and that will change so much. But in this time, we can't completely hear exactly what God's saying. But our best chance of being able to test and approve what God's will is, is to do that together and to have each other in that. So there's something that really in, is really interesting that happens in the New Testament. So, the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, where we have the Gospels up front and then the story of Acts where we see the beginning of the church. In the Gospels, it's about Jesus' life and ministry. And you notice as Jesus is leading, he often says things like, I only do what I see the Father doing, or uh, it's my Father's will. So you hear Jesus talking about trying to to step into what, what the Father might be leading in these ways. Um, now, It's a little bit complicated, but there's a theology that's really, really core to Christianity and to our understanding of God, and it's called Trinitarian theology. This idea that God is one God, but three persons sometimes we say, the Father, Son, and Spirit. You hear us pray all the time to the Father, Son, and Spirit. That doesn't mean we're having three gods. It's just one. I know that's confusing, and I can definitely give people more information about that as you're trying to wrap your head around that. But that theology is really, really important when it comes to renewing relationships, It's important because God is created, is a God that is a communal God in God's self. Do you see how God is community? Father, Son, and Spirit are intertwined, doing this, sometimes theologians call it a cosmic dance, where they are interacting with humanity, but it's really one God that's of one spirit, mind, that way it's not three different gods. God is community, and God has created us in God's image, which is amazing, by the way, And to live out God's image, we must do that in community so that we can reflect the community that God is. Do you get where I'm going with that? I know that's a little bit complicated and a little bit of a, a metaphysical thing to understand. But it's so key. That is who God is and that's who God created us to be. Now God, the Godhead, the three in one, exists in a perfect community. Absolutely. The only perfect community ever. And we are just a reflection of that that's in a a broken world with a lot of brokenness. But God's desire for us is to live into that reflection of community to the best of our ability, even though it's hard. But do you see here then how our relationship to God is connected to our relationship with each other? Our being image bearers of God is connected to our relationship with each other. We can't actually do that alone. That's the way God designed it on purpose. When Jesus says the most important Uh, commandments is to love God and to love your neighbor, those two things are very intertwined. You can't can't even realistically say, I'm only going to do one of the two of those things. To love neighbor is to love God. To love God means you would be compelled to love your neighbor. That's what it means. And so when we have distance in our relationships with other humans, there is going to be a certain distance in our relationship with God. And I think at times when we feel really disconnected from God, that disconnects us from each other in other ways as well. This is why our relationships with each other can be a reflection of our relationship with God. But I'd say that there's a lot of fears that come up. Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, you know, I feel that I've got a really strong community experience in my life right now. But others of you, when we start talking about our intertwined relationships with each other and with God, All these anxieties and fears come rising to the surface. And if you feel that way, that is okay. No shame. We're talking about God giving us grace in that. But some of those fears, let me just name what I think some of those are. I think a lot of us are afraid that we're going to get hurt. That if I trust other people, um, I'm going to end up having that trust broken and I'm going to get hurt. We have fears that we're going to get rejected. That someone's going to express that they care for us in certain ways and we care for them. And then at some point, some some sort of action or word is going to cause us to feel an experience of rejection. I think some of us feel as though we really can't trust other people. And and to some extent, you can't perfectly trust another human because no human is God, right? And some of those fears are really warranted. Um, Studies that social psychologists have done on relationships have said that actually one of our deepest fears of relationship is a fear that we're going to lose ourselves. And Americans tend to have this fear because having a sense of individuality is really important for us culturally, not in every single culture represented in North America, but for many, if not most. Having a sense of who I am and how I am distinct from other people is really important. And in some ways, it is important to have what some people call a differentiation, I know who I am and where I end and where you begin and that's different and that's true. But there's a fear that if we get too close to community or to other people, we're going to lose ourselves in there somewhere. And in a lot of ways, we're not really sure who we are anyway. We're still struggling with our identity and when we step to community, we might actually lose some of that identity. But If our identity as image bearers is to be people who exist in community, then I suggest as you step towards community, you actually step deeper towards your core identity as an individual and as a person who's a part of a community. But there's fear there, right? If we're going to listen to God together, there is a deep requirement of trust. That takes a lot of trust. If I'm going to listen to God and try to hear what God has to say, that's pretty daunting. Letting other people come into that conversation can be really scary as well, and I hear that. It can be a risk, but covenant commitment is something that God desires for us to have, and we're going to talk more about covenant over these next few weeks. Rugged individualism is a cultural norm in North America. I think that we could all agree that rugged individualism is a cultural norm in North America, but deep community is a part of the of the countercultural reality of the kingdom of god that god invites us all to be a part of rugged individualism is a part of north american culture that's okay we can accept that but to be a countercultural person who follows jesus in the kingdom of god is to accept a countercultural reality and risk of being communal people who don't lose ourselves in the midst of community but see ourselves as partially defined by being communal people a part of a family, the family of God. So most of us this year in 2016 are going to make decisions. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but most of us will make at least some decisions that will alter the rest of our lives. And I think it's a pretty important question of whether or not, first of all, we're going to listen to what God might have to say about some of those decisions, and then secondly, if we're going to welcome other people into that process, into that listening together. So uh, I just want to, to spend the rest of the time telling just a few stories about people having done this over the last year. So in 2015, I was a part of communal listening and discernment in a number of ways. Somebody, some of you might have gone to the training that Trevor and Stephanie uh, led us in when we were talking about prayer and doing listening prayer. So this is actually something we've been growing in as a community over this last year. Um, I have had a part in a few different things that I felt like were stories worth telling today, in case you haven't heard them, about groups of people trying to discern on behalf of a group or an individual. So the first story I want to tell is about my friend Allie. Allie's over there, wave Allie. There she is. She, I'm pretty sure, hates that I just did that. Um, Allie was maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, starting to feel like God might be telling her. That she should leave the comforts of the warm January Minnesota and go to Columbia, the country, the warm tropical country, to teach for maybe a year, maybe two. She wasn't sure. Now, this, I think for most people, would be an anxiety-producing thing to feel like God was saying. And it was for, for Allie. I think it would be for most of you. And what Allie did, I think, was a great example of listening to God together with other people. She brought that information of feeling like God was speaking to her in her individual time with God to groups, particularly her discipleship group, some of her groups of friends, and shared with them and asked them to listen with her about what God might be saying. Is this even really God? Maybe this is her own ambition. She didn't know. So she started to listen with other people in that way. She got together with some people one-on-one and had them listen with her and discuss with her. Sure, give some advice, but even more specifically, listen to what God might be saying. Then something really interesting happened to Allie. Allie was a part of a, a debutante program of the Minnesota Roller Girls. Roller Derby. Okay, did you, did you know that Mill City has a Roller derby person here? Do we have another one? Is there anybody else? Talk to Allie if you're interested, right? So Allie is, is a part of this, and get this, she tries out for the team for fun and makes it. And she's supposed to tell the people in Columbia that she's coming, like the same week that she makes the Minnesota Roller Girls Roller Derby team, one of the most, according to NPR last week, up-and-coming sports of the Twin Cities. And so she's now has this other information, This, I mean, it's for fun, but it's also really exciting. She met all these new people, she was loving it, and now she's wondering, is God still telling me that I'm supposed to go? Long story short, we're all going to pray that Allie at some point can make the Minnesota Roller Derby team again because she went to Columbia. And she's been teaching there over these last few months and she's home on Christmas break and she's going to go back and she's not exactly sure how long she'll be there. But that was a huge risk for her personally in a number of ways that I didn't even share. And she, I would say, and maybe you'd disagree, but I'm not sure you would have done it if it wasn't for other people listening with you. Because it's scary. That's a really big thing. But I'm convinced that she is exactly where God wants her to be. We don't know totally why yet. Um, I think that will continue to be revealed. Sometimes we look back years later and things make more sense than we thought, but I think she's supposed to be there. So that's the first story where I feel like that was a really great example of her putting herself out there in community to listen with her. A second story I want to tell is the process that our community went to uh, decide to buy the Mill City Commons, we now call it, our our building that's a couple couple miles from here. It's just a small midweek building that we use. Many of you have been there. If you haven't, please come by. Um, This was a really interesting experience of listening to God as a community because we had no building search going on. There was not a committee looking for a building for Mill City's midweek services or midweek times. Now, in hindsight, we maybe should have had that committee, but we didn't. Um, Mike Huffman sent a link to some of us that said, hey, look at this building. And uh, some people went around and walked on the premises of this building. I don't know if that's trespassing or whatever, but we just went there and we started to get this sense of peace that we were supposed to at least pay more attention to this place. We hadn't even gone inside yet, and the pictures they had online were horrible. And so uh, we, we asked if we can go in and we can see it, and a group of leaders went in and saw it and said, in the, in, in the midst of all of the many, many cubicles that are in here right now, and the cobwebs and everything, it seems like this might be where Mill City is supposed to start to root itself in a community. And this was an interesting thing for us because If you haven't been to the commons, it's actually right smack in the middle of a neighborhood called Marshall Terrace. Nobody drives by there because they're on their way to some hip coffee shop, right? It's not on Broadway or Central or Lowry. It's kind of out of the way. And conventional wisdom might be that a church should have a building in a place where people see it all the time so they know that they're around. But God gave so much peace to these different leaders that, no, I think we're supposed to consider this. And maybe, maybe God's saying to us, I've always said that you're a neighborhood church. It makes sense for you to be in a neighborhood, not on a thoroughfare. That's who you are, and I'm just reminding you of that. Long story short, the covenant members voted to give it a go and just see if they would take our offer. We could always pull out the offer. And uh, they accepted our offer. Groups of people went and prayed around the property. It was freezing. A group of us, Owen was there. It was so cold and it was raining and we were standing under like two umbrellas just getting soaking wet, praying and asking God to tell us, is this what we should do as a church? Should we take on this financial responsibility? And is it something that's going to further our mission? So, as you know no cliffhanger there we bought the building and the things that have happened it's been nine months you guys nine months and the things that have happened in this space have been amazing i counted the other day and i think over 200 leaders have been trained in this building in nine months people that are a part of the mill city community and other communities that have come in to be a part of trainings that we've been able to host in this space I can't even tell you how many kids have come through there to experience various things in the spaces that we've designed for kids. Uh, Aaron Akram's got a recording studio in the basement and him and some others are renting from the church to be able to have a space where musicians can come in and do what God created them to do in that space. We've got uh, so many different ways that neighbors have come and visited. We have at least I know of one person who's now a core part of our community Connie who's sitting right there who wouldn't know about our church if it wasn't for the commons being literally right next to where she lives and now she's a part of our community regularly we have birthday parties uh, many missional communities that have met there and it's just the beginning but that's all because of just a sense that God might be saying something there's a sense all right last story And this will be a short one, but uh, it's a pretty important one for me to share personally. It's kind of a a vulnerable one for me to share, but I think it's important. In 2015, uh, discernment and listening with other people was really, really crucial for me. About three years ago, I began a pretty important uh, relationship with a gentleman. And it was 18 months into our relationship, and he couldn't get a job in Minnesota, and he moved to Florida. And when that happened... It became complicated, as you can imagine. What wasn't complicated was visiting Florida in the winter from Minnesota. That was not. But other than that, it was really complicated. And him and I knew that we had to let other people into the discernment process about what we were going to do about this situation. And so what we formed is what we called our listening team, just a few people that both of us knew and we trusted really well. We talked to them in person and would send them email updates and say, please listen to God with us about what we are supposed to do. Their listening helped us to know that we were going to give it a go in the long distance relationship and we did that for a little while. And ultimately that team of people listening with us helped us discern that the relationship was actually supposed to come to a close. The other option would be that he would give up his career in some certain way or I would give up living here and, and move and some really, really big decision. But it became clear to him and I and to the rest of the listening team that that's not what God was saying. We're talking about I think, arguably one of the most important decisions of my life, right? Who you're going to marry, many of you would suggest, is the most important decision of your life. And that group of people helped us to make what I think both of us now would say was the right decision, as hard as it was. This is so crucial for us. As we go into 2016, the big decisions, the little decisions, the fact that God might want to be saying something to you that you're not even asking him comes down to whether or not You are listening to God with other people in your life. It doesn't have to look like a discernment team that you email. It doesn't have to be exactly how Allie did it. It doesn't have to be any certain way, but it needs to happen. Who's going to listen to God with you? Start with maybe one person. Who is going to be that person with you? We can't ever be totally 100% sure what God is saying to us. Because of the time we're living in now, like I said, We can't hear God's voice as clearly as the way Jesus and the Father and the Spirit could interact when Jesus was on earth. But the model is clear for us that we should try and that we should do that in community the way that God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that gives us the best chance that we're going to be transformed by God's voice so that there's a renewing of our minds communally, individually, that we'll be able to together test and approve God's will, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to have the worship team come back up and, um, like I mentioned, Romans 12 has been uh, core to me in my life. It's been something that God has constantly turned me back towards over and over again. And a number of years ago, I actually took Romans 12 and I rewrote it in kind of a more poetic form that expresses kind of the way this has become deep for me and for all the communities that I've been a part of leading or been a part of myself. And so I just wanted to close, um, since this is the beginning of this conversation, that I think is really important, by reading to you this poem that I wrote um, that is just kind of my paraphrasing of Romans 12, if I can do that. Cool? You don't really have a choice. So. So here it is, Romans 12, Steph translation. So here is what I want you to do. With the help of the one who was, who is, and who will always be, take your life, not just a part, but all of your being, and set it up as if on an altar as an offering. True sacrifice means you pay a price to leave all that you are before his throne, giving it back to him because it's not your own. What he did for us, we need to embrace. Leaving behind what gives us disgrace, his blood has covered all of it. Giving our lives back to our king makes sense of all these words that we sing. But this world is pulling and straining and fighting to keep its grasp on what needs to become your past. Your future is a mind renewed, fixed on a prize you will never lose. Let God change your life the way you think from the inside out, transformed under his authority with rearranged priorities and an increased clarity no matter the complexity. Listening to God is a community goal. We listen for each other with all our heart and soul. Then you'll know what he wants you to do. He's the one who bring out the best in you. We've often heard it said before, we're familiar with this metaphor, that each body is made up of so many parts. Eyes, ears, toes, heart. And each part finds its meaning as a part of the whole. No part alone can shoulder it all, could alone get up from a fall. So let's go ahead and be the part we were made to be. See if we are the eyes to see, hear if we are the ears to hear. Preach if you are the one to preach. Teach if you're the one to teach. If you serve, just serve. Don't take over. If you lead, just lead. Be happy as the mind and not the shoulder. Because the shoulder is needed when it's called on to respond. But so often we fail to see the bond of how each mind needs the shoulder and each shoulder needs the hand. Why can't we just understand how little it does when we compare? Except bring judgment when love should be there. We are all siblings of another kind. God's mercy and grace tend to bring a different bind. He binds us together with an agape love, and the kind of love that I'm speaking of, it comes from the center of who you are. Love deeply, truly, sincerely. Don't fake it. Be real, especially in a place where there is a temptation to be an imitation of what you think you should be. Set yourself free. Be friends with the nobodies because they're actually somebody. Somebody who needs love just as much as you. Somebody who's experienced pain like you. Somebody who's messed up just like you. Somebody who needs forgiveness like you. Somebody who's walking this road right next to you. Look around. None of us have it all together, not without the covering of our Savior. So don't burn out. Keep your passion for the Lord fueled and aflame. Expect God to show up when you call in His name. Don't quit in hard times, just pray all the harder. Lean on one another, come through for your sister, come through for your brother. Don't settle for the ordinary, strive for the extraordinary. Give back to the Lord the life you've been living and give, get ready for the adventure that you'll be living. You belong here in this community and I pray that you'll come together in unity in the name of the one who was, who is, and who will always be. Amen.